To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Coming up today, we want to follow up on the legal action going on between the PGA and Live Golf, including a very recent ruling that sided with the PGA. But first, we have to talk about Serena Williams, the GOAT of tennis, who is thinking about retiring after one of the greatest individual sports careers of all time. And Scarlett, the thing of it is, is that she's probably going out on her own terms. Oh, absolutely. Um, But she did make some comments that are really interesting, basically suggesting or saying that if she were a man, perhaps retirement would not be as much of an option or needs to be as much of an option. So I wanted to dig into that. I agree. And there's a great article up on the terminal and at Bloomberg.com to dig deeper into Serena's comments. We welcome Bloomberg Senior Editor Lindsay Rupp. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks for having me. Well, she said the Serena Williams probably hit the nail on the head. She said if she was a man, she would probably stick around longer in the sport. But And I have to agree with her, and, and her reasoning makes perfect sense, Lindsay. Yeah, she basically says, you know, if I had a wife at home who could bear another child so I could expand my family, then, you know, I might not be retiring. She kind of compares herself to Tom Brady and says, you know, maybe I'd be having more of a Tom Brady moment. But, you know, the reality is she wants to have another baby and she doesn't want to be pregnant as a professional athlete. Another goat, by the way. Um, she did come back after having her first child. Are, is, is this common for tennis players to have had kids and and come back and play? Do we know if there's like a track record or precedent for that? That's an interesting question. Um, We know that it's very difficult for professional athletes to become mothers in general. That, you know, until about 2019, Nike didn't have a maternity leave policy. Really? Most athletes are sponsored by major brands. And so if they're not playing, they're not competing, they're not earning money. Mm -hmm. And not everyone's Serena. They're not bringing home that kind of money. And they can't necessarily afford to take time off um, in that way. So, Uh, For Serena, you know, she actually won the Australian Open when she was two months pregnant. Um, You know, she she talks about her very difficult childbirth experience and and, and about coming back and playing postpartum and Mm -hmm. while she was, you know, breastfeeding and experiencing postpartum depression. But I think, you know, Serena is, is incredibly unique in that. Well, I mean, look, I'm, we're not just talking about any money. We're talking about nearly $100 million in prize money over a 26-year career, the highest-earning female athlete of all time. Absolutely. Is she the right torchbearer to really you know, go out there talking about the financial hardship faced by new mothers, by pregnant women, um, especially those who work for small business and businesses and the sole proprietors? I mean, what can the U.S. government be doing to sort of help them? Yeah, I think it's interesting that Serena Williams comes out and talks about how uh, she wants to take time away from her career, basically, to focus on expanding her family and the the real pain that that caused her, that she really uh, didn't want to do it, necessarily. She says, you know, I, I never wanted to retire. This is very painful. Most women in America don't have, or, or people who give birth, they don't have access to 
uh, paid time off. There is no federal safety net for for people who give birth. Um, so they're really on their own in a way that you know Serena Williams has to step away from her career, but it's it's really a choice she's making. A lot of a lot of people, you know, they they spend twelve weeks uh, without pay. Um, so it's you know it's a very different situation that Serena Williams is in, obviously uh, financially. But the U.S. government, you know, they don't subsidize childcare. They don't um, they don't offer any kind of paid leave if you if you fall really ill or if you become a new parent. Um, and that kind of safety net's really important for a lot of women who need who who want to be in the workforce or who want to be pursuing their careers. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said. And you reminded all the listeners about it. Serena Williams was two months pregnant when she won a tournament if i got a corn on my foot i'm ready to call in the work and she won a tournament two months pregnant and and this is why every time when i hear about the inequities of pay that women get the shaft on compared to what's out there this is why you see my hand start to shake because i can't stand it. it can you go more into that and what serena has meant to leading the torch to like hey equal pay folks yeah she's been very outspoken about equal pay you know uh her daughter um olympia is actually the youngest uh team owner ever (laughs) she she owns a piece of a women's soccer team in la i believe and um and you know her husband uh alexis ohanian he says uh in some of his tweets that that part of the reason he really wanted to invest in this team is that uh, you know, his wife had told him about the the pay inequities that the the women's soccer team uh, faced compared to the the men's soccer team. So she's really been out in front in her personal life and in her uh, public life about about pay. What can what do we know about what Serena is going to focus on? Because obviously, tennis takes up the bulk of her time when she is preparing for tournaments. But if she is stepping back from playing professionally, she's got a lot of other things going on. Yeah, she's been really leaning into her venture capital fund that she started a few years ago. Um, It's called Serena Ventures. And they back mostly... Uh, women and minority-owned businesses. So they've actually got a pretty impressive track record uh, of investments. You know, um, I understand Serena is going to be playing in the U.S. Open in nearly two weeks. I mean, do we have an official timetable for her retirement? We do not. Uh, She indicates in her article in Vogue that she does plan to play in New York, but beyond that, it's anyone's guess. I do know one thing. Ticket sales for the U.S. Open (laughs) went off the hook with the moment she says, "Ah, "Okay, uh, this is going to be my last one," and all of a sudden says, "Wait, let me get in on this." Yeah, that's my next story. Yeah, (laughs) see, now I'm blowing. I'm blowing your next story. I'm sorry. No, you're teasing ahead to it, Michael Barr. (laughs) But it did. I mean, the, the ticket sales went off the hook. This shows you the draw that Serena Williams has for the sport. I have a tennis ball signed by Serena Williams. I'll let you touch it, Michael. Oh man. That is impressive, Damien. I do. How how did you get that? I got it as a gift. I won a, um, oh God, I think during the middle of COVID, we had uh, like all these uh, different families went around and they had a, I don't know, it was like you had a a, a list of questions you had to answer, you had to take pictures with all these things, and that was the gift. So I won it. Yeah, my family won. You had to compete for this. Yeah, it was uh, like a, yeah, yeah, it was a competition. It's always a competition in my house. Yeah. I I think it's important (laughs) to reiterate, and um, Damien, you touched on this, and, and you certainly gave us the numbers to back it up, Lindsay, is that she's the most decorated female athlete, professional athlete of all time, not just tennis player. You know, we, we can't limit her to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And she is the highest earning uh, female athlete. Absolutely. 23 Grand Slam single titles, 14 major doubles titles in a 26-year career, the most of any player in the Open Era. Bloomberg senior editor Lindsey Rupp. I'm sure you're looking at me like, man, we hired this. Thank you very much for coming on and talking with us probably about the biggest sports story of the week that's going on right now. Serena Williams retiring. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Special thanks to Bloomberg Senior Editor Lindsey Rupp. You can read more online at Bloomberg.com or on the terminal. Now, let's talk some golf in a narrow ruling that came down just a couple of days before the start of the FedEx Cup. A judge determined that the PGA Tour is allowed to bar live golfers from participating. That is just one of the latest developments. Let's bring in Bloomberg Law's Peter Blumberg. That's not confusing because we're with Bloomberg. (laughs) Peter, thank you so much for joining the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Happy to be here. Well, let's let's start, first of all, that the PGA got uh, a bit of a victory in this. Can you explain that, the legal ramifications of that? Yeah, so this was an emergency order from the court that bars these three players from participating in the FedEx Cup, but it doesn't go beyond that. It only, it only deals with that one issue in the immediate future, and the lawsuit itself will continue, and it's going to be a long slog, and it's hard at this point to say who's going to win. So how does this ruling affect the lawsuit, or does it not have any bearing on it? It really doesn't have any bearing on the on the lawsuit's final outcome. This was just the judge weighing in on this narrow question of whether these three players could get the suspension by the PGA temporarily lifted so that they could participate in this one tournament. So uh, talk to me here. I mean, what comes next? I mean, I mean, can these three players, I believe, um, you know, um, that are trying to be in the FedEx, is there any way that they can appeal this ruling in order to play in time for the FedEx? Or is that out? And then the second question, I guess, off the back of that is, you know, what comes next with the main lawsuit, the Live 11? You know, I mean, what does your gut tell you about w- whether or not this antitrust case holds in a U.S. court system? This ruling uh, will not be appealed. Uh, that... that um that is now behind us. But going forward, each side may have strong arguments to make. For instance, in, in LIV's favor, the lawsuit cites excerpts of meetings between officials of LIV and the European tour in which they were discussing a possible partnership. But ultimately, the European tour decided to shore up its alliance with the PGA. PGA, and that that could um, present a hard situation for for the PGA to defend itself against claims that it's anti-competitive. Because here you have PGA specifically working with the European Tour to strengthen its own hold on the market. But on the other hand, 
any monopolization claim, and that's ultimately what this case is about, right, that the LIV is claiming that PGA has a stranglehold on the market for pro, pro golfers. And any kind of monopolization case ultimately turns on the accuser being needing to prove that they're suffering, uh, that they're being harmed. But it's going to be difficult for the LIV to make the claim that its players are really suffering when they're getting showered with millions and millions of dollars from Saudi Arabia. Now, by the way, let's explain the three golfers we're talking about. Taylor Gooch, Hudson Swafford, and Matt Jones, they won't be able to, to participate at least in the FedEx Cup playoffs. But here's the problem. A live golfer is guaranteed at least $120,000 per tournament, and that's a higher amount than most players averaging per event on the PGA Tour, which brings the problem, can there be a legal argument that Live golfers say, look, I make more money here. You can't tell me it's like I have to make less than what I'm making on live. Well, the PGA will always have the the allure for golfers of its prestige and its history. But in the end, if it if it has to loosen up its rules and allow these players to participate in other tours, it's going to be uh, squeezed because LIV has already shown that it can uh, it can supply more money for the golfers. So PGA has a lot at stake if it loses, right? Because the players could simply go to other other leagues. Peter, project out for us what this looks like um, down the road. You mentioned that this does not affect the ongoing lawsuit that uh, the individual golfers uh, have levied against PGA. But what, I mean, is this just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to legal battles between well, two organizations through these individual players? Well, remember, it's not just the two organizations that are fighting with each other. There's also the Justice Department, which recently opened its own investigation of PGA. Now, going back to the 1990s, there was, of course, a Federal Trade Commission probe into similar allegations that PGA was acting monopolistic and anti-competitive. Ultimately, though, that investigation was closed without any formal action by the agency. Now we're in a different place because now we have a different agency, the Justice Department, and we have the Justice Department under an administration, Joe Biden's administration, which has taken a very hard line on uh, monopolization issues so far. And so uh, it remains to be seen, of course, whether the Justice Department will actually bring a case, but the threat of that case is a real one because uh, this is an administration that is committed not only to antitrust enforcement in a broad sense, but also very specifically to issues about wage suppression, which is what this case really comes down to. You know, Peter, my last question for you is, you know, let's put a timeline around this. You know, at what point, let's say the court's rule in Liv's favor, you know, going down the road. I mean, what's the earliest we could see Phil Mickelson back on the PGA Tour? This is actually going to probably take years to play out. It's going to be a very hard fought contest from both sides. And as all big antitrust cases are, and there's going to be 
a great deal of effort uh, from both sides to use the free trial information gathering phase, what, what's, what's known in the legal world as discovery, to try to pry as much evidence from the other side as they can in their favor. And there's going to be a lot of depositions where, you know, golf players and officials from the two uh, competing leagues are going to have to be uh, interrogated by lawyers. Uh, so that's going to take uh, some time to play out. Ditto for the government investigation. So it could be it could be years into the future before we get a final resolution. And all of this comes at a very interesting time because you have not so long ago a Supreme Court ruling that the NCAA cannot with, withhold financial benefits from college players, and that precedent uh, could. Uh, be interpreted uh, in this case in one way or another to, 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 to give an edge to either PGA or LIV, depending on how the judges interpret it. And uh, you also have um, the potential for the outcome of this fight to go beyond just professional golf, because it's really an issue that applies in the antitrust world to uh, other uh, sports that use independent contractors, tennis, uh, race car driving, you name it. Peter Blumberg, Bloomberg News Legal News Editor on the PGA Live lawsuit. Thank you for dropping your knowledge and educating me and the audience out there about this whole lawsuit. Thank you again, sir. Thank you for having me. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. Catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.